This morning, as we launch into 2024, we also launch into a new series titled God With Us, From Garden to City. And over the next uh, five weeks, the pastoral team has done this for the past few years, but we we team teach a series together. So over the next five weeks, uh, the pastoral team is going to be walking us through, in a sense, the entire story of the Bible, from the garden of Genesis 1 to the city of Revelation 22. And along the way, we're going to unpack five significant images that display an incredible reality. So here's the reality to sink our teeth in this morning, that God's eternal purpose is to dwell among a people he has made his own. You're going to hear that time again, that God's eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose is to dwell among a people he has made his own. We see that truth woven throughout the entire story of the Bible, from the Garden of Eden, step one, where where we'll be today, to the sanctuaries of the Old Testament, so the tabernacle and the temple, into the New Testament, where the person of Jesus comes to dwell among us, and then creates the church to be a people where God's presence dwells, and finally, the city of New Jerusalem, where God's eternal purpose to dwell among a people he has made his own will reach its consummation. So honestly, I think this is going to be a really refreshing and revitalizing series for us as a church and for us individually as we experience more deeply some life-transforming realities of God's powerful and personal presence with us. He's with us, even this morning in this moment. So because that's the case, let's go to him and give him our hearts and give him this time. So let's pray together if you would. God, it is an incredible reality that we'll see this morning and over the next five weeks that you are a God who is with us. You are near us. You are for us. By your spirit, you're in us. So this morning, the God who is near, would you meet us, each one of us, in our deepest point of need today? Would you speak truth into that place of need? Would you speak hope and life and joy and comfort Whatever we need this morning, would you meet us in that need? Father, I I give you myself and and my heart and my mind this morning during this time, and I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not just be pleasing to you, but they would be from you, that by your spirit you would speak life through your word today to your people. We pray these things in your good name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so before we dive into Genesis 2, which is where we're going to be, so you can turn there in your Bibles, um, I want to ask you a question, okay? Where is God's presence? Where is God's presence? So if you were to go home today and read through the entire Bible, I think what you would find is this, that, that God's presence, we need to think of it along the lines of what I call healthy tensions, So a healthy tension is two seemingly contradictory realities that must be held in tension for a true understanding to be had. So two seemingly contradictory realities that must be held in tension. So for example, the Bible speaks of God being both transcendent and imminent. Have you heard those words before? Big church words. Transcendent and imminent. In other words, God is beyond us, transcendent, but he's also with us. He's imminent. Joshua 2.11 speaks to this, this healthy tension when it says that he is God in the heavens above, transcendent, beyond us, and on the earth below. He's imminent. He's with us. That's a healthy tension. 
Or consider Isaiah 57, where it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. That's transcendent, right? And also with him who was of contrite and lowly spirit, transcendent and imminent. The true and living God of the Bible is both. He is beyond us, absolutely, yet he's with us. That's a healthy tension we must maintain as we consider God's presence. Here's another healthy tension for you. Scripture would say that God is everywhere, right? What's the big theological word for God being everywhere? Omnipresent. Man, we got a room full of theologians here. God is everywhere at all times, which is a truth that'll explode your mind. We can't comprehend that, right? He's omnipresent everywhere at all times, and God manifests his presence in specific places at specific times. That's a healthy tension. Omnipresent and present in places. And though the Bible, if you were to go through and read the whole thing, though the Bible does speak to God's omnipresence, for sure, Scripture seems to emphasize God's manifest presence in relationships and redemption, as we're going to see throughout our series. So this is another healthy tension we must maintain. And here's why. I think it's easy for all of us, even for those who are in Christ, to drift into a sort of deism. Have you heard that word before? Deism. Where our sense of God's presence is out there and it's detached from everyday life. In other words, God does his thing and then leaves us to do our own thing. There's no connection between God and his creation. That's, that's deism. He's out there. No connection to us. And the Bible is going to correct us in that thinking. Deists would say that God exists, God created, absolutely. But in the everyday stuff of life, God doesn't really care to be involved with his creation. He's a God who's withdrawn and distant. He does his thing, we do our thing, no connection. And that's deism. But the story of the Bible is anything but deistic. As we'll see, the true and living God of the Bible is a God who comes near, intentionally, purposefully. Time and time again, he comes near, even this morning. He is more near than we even know. So scripture as a whole, in this five-week series in particular, is going to call us back into a healthy biblical understanding of God's presence. And with the Spirit's help, we hope to experience the realities of Psalm 1611 more richly than ever before. That in God's presence there is what? Fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. Pleasures now and forever in God's presence. So let's get into it. Genesis chapter 2. If you're not there, please turn there. God with us from garden to city. This morning, we're going to spend our time hanging out together in the garden. So if you're new to the Bible, or if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Genesis 2 is a zoomed-in account of God's creation. If you read Genesis 1, you kind of get the wide-angle shot of all creation. But in Genesis 2, the biblical writer zooms in 
to focus on the creation of man and woman in particular. And here in Genesis 2, we start to see that God's eternal purpose was not solely to create a people. His purpose didn't end there. He created for sure, but that's not the end of his purpose. Nor was God's eternal purpose solely to rule a people, though he does that. He created and he rules a people. And nor was God's eternal purpose even solely to save a people, though that's a vital part of his purpose, right? To save us and receive worship from us. So all these realities, creating, ruling, and saving, are part of God's eternal purpose, but they're not his primary purpose. Like we said at the beginning, God's eternal purpose is to what? To dwell among a people that he creates, rules, and saves. It's a relational Purpose. So look at Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God, who by the way is the triune God, so the God who is himself relationship, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So, as I continue reading, try to picture yourself in this garden, maybe even close your eyes. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. And delium, which is a substance used for instance, and delium and onyx stone, which is a a black stone used for jewelry, delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, every one except Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So let's pause there and picture this scene. So we've got God. We've got a human that he just formed and breathed life into. And we've got a garden, a beautiful garden. Don't picture your your little West Texas garden here. This This is a garden full of rich provision and abundant pleasure. Provision and pleasure here in this garden with God, man, and the garden. Let me point out a few things from what we just read. If you have your Bible, these will all be in verse 9. The word Eden itself means delight or pleasure. So God named this garden appropriately, delight and pleasure. And notice all the details and all the sensory language in verse 9. So this garden, a few things about it, contained an incredible variety with all kinds of trees. 
It was a place filled with beauty as the trees were pleasing to the eye. Not only beautiful, but it was a fertile and fruitful place that provided nourishment and nutrition as the trees were good for food. Food that not only looked great, but tasted great as well. Then in verse 10, we see that it was a naturally well-watered garden with four rivers. In verse 11 and 12, speak of gold and a variety of other wonderful, beautiful, over-the-top resources. Later in chapter 2, if you were to read down to verse 19 and 20, we see all kinds of animals in the garden. In verse 25, we see that Adam and Eve were naked and unafraid indicating that they didn't need protection from the environment as it was perfectly suited for human flourishing. But not only was this garden full of rich provision and pleasure, there was something even more glorious in this garden. This garden in Eden was a place for unhindered experience of God's presence. It was a place purposefully designed for creator God and created man to meet, to live together in harmonious relationship, to walk and talk together, to experience the fullness of life and joy in the presence of God as he dwells among the people that he loves. This is the greatest characteristic of this garden. Even more than all the rich provision and pleasure, this garden in Eden was purposely designed by God to be a sanctuary, a a sacred place. It was the epicenter of God's relational presence in creation, a place where God and man could meet and enjoy fellowship together, walking together in the garden in the cool of the day. But notice one more thing in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 2. Unlike Genesis 1 where God speaks creation into being, right? Let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. God said and there was and he said it's good. Unlike Genesis 1 where God is speaking creation into being, in Genesis 2 we see that God forms the man with his very own hands. And God plants the garden himself. Then he places the man he formed in the garden he planted. So right from the start of the story, we see that God is a God intricately involved. He's intricately, I can't say that word, intricately involved and personally present in his creation. So much so that he's willing to get his hands dirty in it. God purposely prepares this garden himself for the people he deeply loves. A garden rich in provision and pleasure, and on top of it all, a place where God could dwell with his people, where they could experience unhindered access to his personal and powerful presence. Church family, this is what we were created for unhindered fellowship with God, divine companionship, walking and talking with him, enjoying his presence in the place that he purposely prepared for us. So that's Genesis 2. But as you may know, something shifts in Genesis 3 and something tragic results. 
quick overview, Satan slithers into the garden, bringing with him deception and lies. Adam and Eve fall prey to his attack. Sin enters the picture and shatters everything. And as Todd likes to say, the effects of sin splatter everywhere. And they continue splattering to this day, don't they? Listen as I read Genesis 3, verse 1 through 11, and just feel the weight, feel the weight of this tragedy. Genesis 3, now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? You can just hear his deception in the tone of that, can't you? Did God actually say? Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then she adds to God's word, which is never a good idea. She adds, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said back to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll become like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Satan is telling Eve, God is the one deceiving you. God is trying to deceive you. How can you trust a God like that? That's the deception. That's the lie. Uh, Where'd we leave off here? Okay, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, this is significant. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this is something I think they had experienced time and time again, many times before. But this time, it's different. Look how they respond. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God shows up walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and how do they respond? They run and hide. Family, that's that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Rather than enjoying the fellowship with God that they were created for and once had, they now take flight and try to hide from God in the very things that God created. For the first time in this garden, God's presence with them results in fear in them, and they try to hide from him. This is the tragic result of sin. Sin, even to this day, hinders and deeply affects our experience and enjoyment of God's presence. But look how God responds. Though they withdraw and try to hide, he does not. He pursues. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. So God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
Then verses 12 through 21 uh, go through a whole series of consequences, and and God makes some incredible gospel promises in the midst of those consequences, uh, which we unpacked, uh, by the way, uh, back in November of 2022. We really unpacked Genesis 3. Uh, If you want to kind of spend some time there, listen back to November 27th, 2022, in our Advent of Promise series. But for now, we're going to skip over verse 12 through 21 and look at verse 22. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out. He sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Tragically, uh, this was eviction day. Because of sin, man and woman could no longer live in the holy sanctuary of Eden in the presence of a holy God. The joy and pleasure of life in God's presence was forfeited, and they were cast out of the garden. You know, we've experienced this, but sin has many tragic consequences, but the most tragic of all is separation, alienation, disconnection from the presence of God. When sin comes onto the scene, access is denied to his holy presence. Prior to Genesis 3, human beings enjoyed unhindered access to God's personal presence. In the middle of Genesis 3, we find them trying to hide from God's pursuing presence. And at the end of Genesis 3, complete access to the presence of God is denied as they're evicted from the garden. It's quite a story in one chapter, isn't it? Complete access, hiding from his presence, evicted from his presence. But thank God the story of Scripture and the story of our lives doesn't end in Genesis 3, right? Amen to that. There are a thousand more pages of Scripture and four more sermons in this series that show how access can be restored. But let me just go ahead and spoil it all for you right here, okay? What you're going to see in this series and what you'll read in the Bible is that God never gives up on his eternal purpose to dwell among a people he has made his own. God never gives up on his eternal purpose to dwell among a people he has made his own. In fact, he goes to the greatest of all measures to restore what we've broken and to right what we've wronged. Throughout the story, he comes to us time and time again. God continues to be personally and actively involved in his creation. And just like in the garden, he gets his very own hands dirty in our salvation. In another garden, where he's pleading with his father, sweating drops of blood, in agony on his hands and knees, saying, isn't there another way? And yet, not my will, 
but your will be done. He gets his own hands dirty in our salvation. God himself takes the initiative to reconcile, redeem, and restore us to the purpose for which we were created. And one day, one day, the story that began with one man and one woman dwelling with God in a garden will end with many men and many women from every nation, tribe, and tongue dwelling with God in a city, experiencing the fullness of life and joy and pleasure forevermore with unhindered access to God's personal presence restored forever. What a day that will be. I heard a whoop. Heard a whoop. Yeah. All right, so if all of this is true, and I believe it is, we believe it is, if all of what I've just said is true, how might we respond? I think there's at least three lessons we can learn from the garden, or maybe three ways that we as a church family can start the year out together growing as a people of his presence. So three things to learn, or three ways we can grow together as a people of God's presence. So first, here's the first one. Let us enjoy God's presence. Let us enjoy God's presence and all the provision and pleasure that comes with it. Because of God's work for us in the gospel, which we'll get to in the weeks to come, because of God's work for us in the gospel, those who are in Christ have real-time access to the very presence of God today. Today. In Christ, you and I are no longer hindered to God's presence because of sin. We have access complete, undeniable access. Now, to be, to be clear, we can experience God's presence today, but in part, right? It, it's veiled to a certain degree. Um, it's not like it will be when we see him face to face. That'll be a different experience, right? Seeing Jesus face to face compared to the presence that we can experience today. But that doesn't make it any less real. You and I today in Christ have real access in real time to the presence of God today. You know, there's a great line and a great hymn. I'm sure many of you know it. I surrender all. And the line, I think it's at the end of the first verse. It says, in his presence, what? Daily live. In his presence, daily live. Today, daily, you and I, if we're in Christ, by his spirit, we can experience and enjoy God's presence today. We, we can walk with God, we can talk with God, we can hear his voice spoken to us at any moment of any day. Those are some incredible realities, aren't they? So let's remember this truth and throughout this year, in his presence, daily live. Now, practically, um, maybe there's a few ways we can do this or a few ways we can grow in this daily practice. Let me just mention three. First one I think is most important. Just ask the Spirit of God to remind you of God's presence with you. If God's Spirit's in you, you have a constant source to remind you of eternal realities. One of those being is that God is with you right now in this moment, tomorrow at 11 o'clock, the next day, the following day. Ask the Spirit to remind you that God is with you. Because it's easy to forget, isn't it? Or to become distracted. Or to even drift into a sort of deism where God is disconnected from the everyday stuff of my life. 
Let's ask the Spirit this year, all of us, to remind us that God is near. At every moment of every day, you have access to the presence of God. Just the first one. Ask the Spirit who's in you. Second one, surround yourself with people who are longing to experience and enjoy God's presence as well. This church, just looking around this room, is filled with people who desire to be in God's presence. So perhaps during this series, especially if you're new to Melanie Park, maybe the Lord would connect you with some people who want to walk with you as you together grow daily in God's presence. So ask the Spirit, surround yourself with people pursuing the same things that you are, And third, this is something that I've done over the years. I'm not currently doing it now, but I think it can be a good idea at times. But set a reminder on your phone throughout a few times during the day. Or um, put a a note on your home screen, or if you're old school, get some post-it notes and and put them around your house. But practically use technology or paper to remind yourself that God is here. I've done this before on my phone. A few times throughout the day, it'll pop up, God is here, or God is near. Or remember God's presence. Or um, to do another Toddism, linger in God's presence without being in a hurry to leave. I've reminded myself time and time again through technology or paper that God's here. I am so prone to forget. I need reminders that, no, God's here right now in this moment. In this hard conversation, God is here. As I'm driving home from work, God is here. When I'm alone by myself, God is here. Or maybe even write out Psalm 1611 and put it all over your house or on your phone to remind yourself that in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whatever it takes, use something practically, tangibly to remind yourself daily, regularly that God is right here with you in this moment. So that's lesson number one of what we can glean from the garden. Let's enjoy God's presence. Here's another lesson, uh, number two. And we see this crystal clear uh, in Genesis 3. When you sin, and you will, right? Just, you will sin this year, probably even today. When you sin, step out of hiding and run to God. Don't step into hiding and run away from God. When you sin, step out of hiding into his free and forgiving light. Step out of hiding. Even today, some of us are in hiding. Step out of hiding into his presence to be known and loved as you are. We're going to sing a song in a few moments that says, no need for hiding. There is no need for hiding here in his light. Family, there's no need for us to hide in our sin and our shame, though it's completely natural for us to do so. Because God himself has gotten his hands dirty to deal with our sin. Because God himself is pursuing you and pursuing me and inviting us in. Because that's the case, we can step out of hiding into his free and forgiving light. Like we saw in Genesis 3, uh, it's easy and natural when we sin, for us to try to hide from God, right? There's, there's shame, there's guilt. So we try to run and hide, and we do so in the very good things that he's created. Now, I doubt many of us are going in our backyards today in hiding behind trees from God. Maybe you are. If you are, that's a little bit weird. But um, 
I don't think we try to hide from God in trees in his garden, right? But we do try to hide from God in other good things that he's created. Let me mention a few that I see all the time in in my own life I experience. We try to hide from God in other relationships, right? Whether it's a family relationship or friendships or dating relationships or trying to hide uh, with your spouse, subtly, very deceptively, we can try to hide from God in other relationships that he's given us. Here's another one. We try to hide from God in busyness, right? Amen to that. I do this all the time. If I just stay busy enough with work or with church or other good responsibilities, if I just stay busy enough, if I just keep moving, if I just keep hurrying through life, I don't need to slow down long enough to deal with God. Right? It's a way that we hide. Just keep moving. If I just keep moving, he won't stop to talk to me about what I don't want him to talk to me about. Right? If I just keep moving, if I just keep serving and serving and serving and doing and doing and doing, if I don't slow down long enough, I won't have to spend time with the God who loves me. I can hide from him in the good things that he's created. And, and there are countless other ways that we, we all try to hide from God. But family, let us this year be a people who step out of hiding. Some of us are hiding in very bad things. Let's step out of those. Some of us are hiding in very good things. Let's step out of hiding to be completely honest with God about where we're actually at. Let's run to him when we sin. Let's not run away from him. Let's come to God with our sin. Here I am, Lord, every part of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I give it to you. Come to him with your sin rather than trying to hide from God in your sin. Family, let's increasingly this year learn to live as the free and forgiven people that we are, to be fully known and fully loved in his presence, no need for hiding. All right, so as the band comes up, I'll start to to wind this down here. May we be a community of people who, number one, enjoy God's presence this year daily. Let's enjoy his presence daily. Let's be a people who, number two, step out of hiding to be known and loved. And three, let's be a community of people this year who look forward with longing. May we be a people constantly looking forward with longing to his unveiled presence that is to come in the new city. Which, by the way, the city that we'll see in Revelation 22 has a garden at the center, center of it. That's, that's no small thing. All right, last thing I'll say, which was the first thing I said. God's eternal purpose is to what? To dwell among a people he has made his own. And family, what an incredible gift that we get to experience and enjoy God's presence today and forever. The God who is with us because he loves us.